0: Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church Dundalk. Now listen, church, I'm going to minister for a while here this morning. Well, we'll do, we'll minister as long as the Holy Ghost says to minister, right? But I'm going I'm to stay in track, I'm going to stay in tune with, with actually what I've been ministering up in Derry. Why? Because for some reason, I think the Lord wants us all to be on the same page how many of you know that that's important for us as a body, as a family, to be on the same page? I mean, see, I tell this to, to our church down in, up in Derry quite often. I say, listen, listen, listen to what's going down in Dundalk. Listen to Pastor Jason and the different ministers that come in Dundalk. Listen to that. Listen to what's going on in Galveston. Listen to Pastor Rusty. Why? Because it's a family. Amen. And God's planted us in a family. We need to to listen to what's going on between all the churches. Why? Because he's he's delivering specific words for each and every one of us. Now, yes, some some things are specific for dairy. Some are specific for Denon. Some are specific for Galveston. But listen, church, it is our family, and we need to grab a hold, amen, on on what he's desiring us to do. You say, what is that? I'm saying, I think these things should pull precedence before we listen to other ministers. Why? I mean, I'm all for listening to other ministers. I'm all for listening and, and, and getting hooked up with things that are going on in other churches. Praise God for them. But listen, church, when God's speaking to our family, we, we might want to pay attention to what's going on, right? Because it, it has to do with you. I mean, it has to do with me. It has to do with each and every one of us. I mean, it's powerful stuff. I and mean, then you say, well, what has he been talking about down up there? Down there, up there, that direction. What, is, what has he been talking to us about? He's been talking about us opening up our spiritual eyes so they can be enlightened. Amen to what? To where not everything that we see, amen, is what we, is what we bet the farm on. Hmm? Not everything that we see, that we feel, that we experience in our life is as it appears. Hmm? Some of y'all know that everything you see, touch, taste, feel, listen, church, it isn't as it appears a lot of the time. You say, why is that? Because listen, church, the spiritual realm that is around us, it is so much greater than this natural realm we're living in. See, when you say these things, people get confused, like, oh, what are you talking about? I mean, I can feel this. I can feel this thing. I can feel this table. I can feel all these things. All this is, is so real. What are you talking about? I, I've never seen an angel. I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen any of these things. How is that much more real than this? Because that is what created this. We just don't live by the right senses. We're living by, by but something's real as long as we can see it, feel it, taste it. But that's not how the Lord told us to live. Why? Because not everything you see in this world is a reality. Not everything you see in this world is truth. Not everything you experience is a confirmation of truth. Let me say that again. Not everything you experience in this life is confirmation of truth. Hmm? The Word is the confirmation of truth. Holy Spirit is the confirmation of truth. Not what you experience. Not what we see. Listen, we as the body of Christ, church, we've gotten into the place where we, where we trust our senses. We trust these things more Then we're trusting the word of God, more than we trust the move of God. And I'm telling you, church, that is a scary place to be in. Why? Because that is the door, our senses, of where the adversary can come in and start manipulating you. We can never let them pull precedence over what God has spoken to us, what God has revealed unto us. Hear me when I say this, church. Your senses, they're a blessing from God. He's made us in his likeness and image. They are a blessing. He has the same senses that we have. I mean, they're a blessing from him. But they're not there to lead us. They're not there to guide us. We're never designed to have them. They're there to confirm things, but they're not there to guide us. They're there to help us experience everything that God has created for us. But they're not there to lead you. You say, well, what are we supposed to be led by? We're supposed to be led by faith. We're supposed to be led by faith in everything that we do. You know, we know Romans eight fourteen around here, that any man is led by the Spirit of God, he is the Son of God, the mature sons of God. Right? But see, how can you be led by the Spirit and to be a mature son or daughter of God if you're not led by faith? I'm going to tell you, you can't. You can't. See, everyone wants to go, oh, I'm a mature Christian. I've been saved for five, ten years. i got, you know, X amount of scriptures memorized. I've been to this many services. Man, I'm mature. You're not mature until you're led by the Holy Spirit. Full stop. I don't, I don't care who you are. I know a lot of pastors that aren't mature. Why? Because they're not led by the Spirit. Now, they have a whole lot of knowledge. But they're not mature. Mature is a man or a daughter or a son that is led by the Spirit of God. How do we do that? You do it by faith. Full stop. You can't follow the Holy Spirit unless you do it by faith, church. That's the only way, that's the only way to do it. You know, it, it, it blows me away that we, that we struggle in this life. We've received the greatest miracle that the kingdom of heaven could have ever given to us. You say, what is that? It's a new birth. That is the greatest miracle you can ever have. It's far superior than healing, far superior than anything. Listen, he took a nasty, filthy nature of Satan that's on the inside of you, and he gave you the nature of a king. Now, if we can stand in faith to believe for that when you only heard one message or, or just met one Christian and, you, and we, we grabbed a hold of it, like, man, I can stand in faith, I want that. Yes, I'm, the sa- I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, glory to God. But how is it that we can believe for the greatest miracle when it comes to healing? I just don't know. I sure feel funny. I don't know, I don't know if that really worked this time. I don't know if I can believe in prosperity. I don't know if I can believe in peace. I don't know if I can believe in deliverance. But you've already received the greatest miracle. How do we struggle with these minor things? Hmm? Because we become sense driven. We become sense driven people. How many, how many of you, before you got saved, before you got reborn, how many of y'all felt saved? Were you, you felt saved and, oh, now I'm saved? How many of you spoke like you were saved? Huh? And then you got saved. Huh? How many of you looked like you were saved? I know I didn't. I know I didn't look saved. I didn't smell saved. And I definitely didn't speak like I was saved. Amen. But it was the word that went forth. When the word went forth, it ignited something on the inside of me, and I grabbed a hold of it, and then I said, I am saved. And after I got reborn, you know what happened? My filthy, vulgar mouth began to change. That was the first thing people recognized about me. I said, man, you haven't dropped an F-bomb in the whole conversation that we had. What happened to you? I said, man, I met Jesus. Like, you met who? I met Jesus. Huh? It changed me. See, the way I speak, the way I look, the way I dress, the way I carry myself, the, the not being selfish anymore, these things were a secondary consequence of what took place on the inside of me. It didn't initiate anything. It was a product of what took, of what took place by faith, right? This is why I think it's it very strange, you know, when you come into you know, some Holy Ghost churches, you know, and people come around, they go, they're like, oh, 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 the, the Spirit of God's here. Look, you see those goosebumps? The Spirit of God's here. Look, look, check it out. We got goosebumps. Oh, oh thank God. And listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not being cynical or making fun of it because listen, church, I'm thankful for when the presence of God comes in, you get goosebumps, and my hair on the back of my neck you know, stands up at, to attention to the presence of God. But listen, what I am saying is if we're relying on those senses, in the, in the middle of winter here, when these, when these heaters kick on to defrost and you start getting air conditioning blowing down the back of your neck and you go, hoo, hoo, hoo. I think the spirit of God's here because I got goosebumps. No, you got goosebumps because cold air is blowing on you. Right? And listen, if, I, if we need to keep this place absolutely frigid so we start pressing in towards the things of God, hallelujah, I'll, we'll get with Pastor Jason, we'll keep it 30 degrees in here. Fahrenheit. Zero degrees, amen, Celsius. Right? We'll keep it freezing in here. Why? Because if you're not believing God for something, God is not going to do anything. Oh, let me talk to the saved people over here, you know. <laughs> Listen, if, if you're not believing anything, if you're not believing Him for anything in your life, church, He can't work through you. Hmm? We need to be pressing in. believing God. So he can work and do the things that he's desiring to do. Hmm? I'm telling you, church, if we don't believe God for a move of God, you ain't gonna have it. Does anyone want a move of God in here? Amen? Is anyone satisfied with the move of God we're having right now? Because there is a move of God in this church. Are you satisfied? I'm not satisfied. I mean, it's like a little taste. I want more, I want more, I want more. How, what do we do? We gotta start pressing toward We gotta start believing him for it. Start having an expectation for these things to come to pass in our lives, Right? See, it's the exact same way when it comes to healing. Has anyone been healed in here? Hmm? Now, did you have to feel like you're healed before you knew you're healed? Or did you just know by the word of God and the spirit of God that's on the inside of you? That as soon as hands were laid upon you, as soon as words came out of your mouth, you knew that you knew that you knew that you're healed. See, if you didn't do it that direction, you won't ever receive healing in your life. you got to know that you know that you know. Right? It's our faith that ignites everything that he's already laid up for for us in the kingdom. I mean, go back to, to Mark chapter 11. And see, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he he was going to the temple and him and his boys, they're getting a little hungry as they're walking down the way. And Jesus saw a fig tree and it had leaves on it, so it should have been producing fruit. So he walked over to it and it didn't have any fruit on it. You say, why didn't it have any fruit on it? It was in disagreement with its identity. Kind of like most of the world right now, they're in disagreement with their own identity. What did Jesus do? He spoke to the tree. He cursed the tree. And then he walked off. And then, the next, and then he walked on down to the temple, started flipping over tables, running people out of there, started healing the sick. And the next day he left. And then as they packed by the, that tree again, all his disciples are like, oh, master, check it out. Look, that tree you spoke to, it's absolutely amazing. It's dead. It was withering from the bottom up. And Jesus was like, duh. Duh. Did you hear me speak to it? See, Jesus didn't have to see it being withered from the top down or the bottom. He didn't have to see it. He knew when he spoke words of life, what he spoke was going to come to pass. When he spoke death, it was going to come to pass. And he said, you will not produce fruit again, full stop. What happened? Death immediately. It started underground, but started coming up. Coming up that trunk to where everyone else, all the naysayers, all the ones that are, that are led by their sight, amen, can see it the next day. But Jesus already knew it was. You say, how do you know that? Because it died. If Jesus didn't know it, it never would have died. Are you with me? Hmm? What do we believe in, church? Say, why is this, why is this such a big deal? Because this, I'm going to tell you something, church, things aren't always as they appear. If we trust what we see, if we trust what we taste, trust what we feel, trust what we hear, I'm telling you, church, we're going to open up the door for us to get fooled. Go with me here to, let's go to 2 Samuel. I love this account here. Everyone all right this morning? Listen, in Church. Right, we're just going go to go through a lot of this chapter here, so just bear with us. I'm telling you, you grab a hold of some of these things that the Lord wants to minister to you today, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. He says again, David, in verse 1, he says, again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, about 30,000 of them. And David arose, and he went with all the people that were with him from Bala to, of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name... It's called by the name of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubs. What is this talking about? It's not talking about angels flying around or those stupid little cherubs that people like to put in their house and little naked babies. That's not what a cherub is. Amen. Now these, are che- these cherubs are, are big angels. They're... they're, they're, they're they're an angel, amen, and they have, and they're sitting there on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant, and then he is the presence, is the presence of God that dwells between and above these things, right? So if this, is, if this is the case, why did David go back and try to retrieve this Ark? See, there's a lot of things we can, we can learn when we go to the Old Testament, I mean, I love, I love learning about David. Like, David, I'm telling you, this is a man, this is a man that, that the very throne that our king of kings and lord of lords, he's going to be sitting on his throne, on David's throne for eternity. I'm telling you, there might be some things we can learn about him. There's some things from David. Listen, he, he is called a man after God's own heart. I think there's some things we might want to learn from him. Does anyone desire to be called that from God himself? I'm saying, this is why I want to be called. You know, when I first got into ministry, I want to be known as the faith man or the healing man or this, that, or the other. But, but nowadays, man, the only thing I want to be known as is that was a man, he was after God's heart. He'd give up anything going for it. Hmm? So why was David, why was David going after the ark? Well, firstly, because it got stolen. Hey, man, if you go back to, to 1 Samuel, you'll see that the Philistines, they came against Israel. And under the reign of King Saul, they got defeated. Right? When they got defeated, what did, the, what did the Philistines do? They took the prized possession of Israel. You say, what was that? Was that all the gold they had? No, no. It was the ark. It was the ark. The ark that, that was the presence of God. They took it. They took it and they went and they put it in their temple of Dagon. Now, the interesting thing about this is you say, well, why would they go put, put another god inside of the temple that they worship their god? Well, it's for, for two reasons. One, they wanted to be like a trophy saying that we, that we defeated those people of this god. But secondly, the reason why they did it is because they knew it had power. They knew that this was the presence of God that Israel relied on everywhere they went. This is how they defeated all the nations around them. They said, listen, if we can take that presence, what they're relying on, what they're putting their faith in, if we can take that, boy, there's no one that can come against us. So they put it in right next to their God that they had. His name was Dagon. Now the priest went in there the next morning, you know what they found? They found Dagon bowed down. Bowed down to the ark. Why? Because you think our God the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything that dwells within it. You think he's actually going to permit another God to get glory with him? No, this devil bowed his knees unto the Lord. Bowed his knees unto Jesus, if you will. So they came in there the next morning. I mean, can you, see the, can you see the look on the priest's face? They're like, what in the world happened here? How did this statue fall over? And why does it look like it's worshiping the ark? Stand that thing back up. Get some boys in here. Let's stand this. Let's stand the statue back up. They they went and they stood it back up. The next morning they came in, the Lord said, listen, (laughs) listen, I'm going to take care of this once and for all. Now that statue was bowed down and he broke his head off and he broke his hands off. Why? Because he wasn't going to allow that false idol that man created to be set back up again. And then what else did he do? Then he, then he released then he released upon the, the people of the Philistines plagues and boils. Enough to where in 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 5, verse 7, it says that the ark of God, the Philistines said, the ark of God, it shall not stay with us. It shall not abide with us anymore. Because it's sore upon us, because the hand of God is sore upon us and upon Dagon. Now that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. They come to this realization that, that this God, this ark, the presence of God, it was sore upon them, but also upon their God. They said, we got to get this thing out of here. So what did they do? They put it upon a new cart. Right? They put the ark of the covenant on a new cart. They got some oxen to pull it. And then they sent it towards Israel. Sent it towards you know, Judea. And it landed in the land of the Levites. And the Levites grabbed it. Eleazar, I believe it was, the high priest at the time, said, listen, just keep it Keep it in the house there. And we'll just keep it safe and, safe and secure right there. Absolutely powerful. Keep that in mind that they put it on a new cart there. Secondly, the reason why David went to go retrieve it was the most obvious of all, church. He went to retrieve the heart because it was the presence of God. Hmm? How many of y'all know that the presence of God manifests, manifests himself? In different ways among each and every one of us. Right? See, the presence was with ark, but the presence also came upon David, right? Because he was a king and a prophet. How many of you know, in the Old Testament, before they could get reborn, before they got their nature cleansed on the inside of them, the anointing of God would only come on three classes of people for the most part. It come upon the, the prophets, the kings, and the high priests. David was a prophet and he was a king. He had the anointing of God to do exactly what God asked him to do. I mean, he had that anointing. Now the anointing that was upon him, it was the same anointing, but it was a different anointing that was in the temple, in the holiest of holies. You had the Shekinah glory that came in. The one that, the cloud that that filled the temple that people couldn't even stand. You know, the cloud that was in this place was so powerful that the high priest could only go in once a year, and he dared not enter in that place with blood. You say, why is that? Because it's the show forth, there's a foretelling of how we are going to receive that same type of measure of power. You say, how is that? You're only going to receive it by blood. Hmm? Not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of the king. That's the only way you can get consumed with that kind of power. Hmm? I'm telling you, that's some good stuff right there, church. Listen, church, I, me, as my, me and myself, I guess I should say, me, myself, and I will go into you know, three different people here. Listen, even when I go and study the word of God, I can study and I can pray. I'm telling you, the spirit of God will come and he'll just rest in my office. Just like he's hovering in there. He'll start unveiling things in the Scriptures, start speaking to me. Sometimes he'll start talking to me about you. So I can begin to pray, intercede, whatever it may be. Amen. But his presence will come in that room and just rest there. But listen, his presence also comes into a place like this. Now, it's different, but it's the same. It's a different presence, but it's the same. I mean, and, and see, David, you know he's, he's kind of like me. He can be very selfish when it comes to the things of God. See, I, see, when it comes to the presence of God, when it comes to things of God, I don't want just a little bit of it. I don't want just a little taste of the things of God. I don't want a little taste of the kingdom. I don't want a piece of the pizza, if you will. I want the whole thing. Amen? So if there's anything God has to offer, I want it all. And I'm not going to stop until I can get it all. Listen, church, I'm telling you, if within, I'll give up anything and at any expense to have that presence. And see, King David's the same way. He says, it doesn't matter. I, I know I got the glory on me, but listen, I want that too. Why? Because it's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. I need it. So here in, in verse 2 or verse 3, it says, and they set the ark of God upon a new cart, and they brought it, brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah, and Uza and Akio was, was the sons of Abinadab, and they drove the cart. Did you hear that? They put it on a new cart. Right? They put the ark on a new cart to go when they went to go retrieve the ark of the covenant. They noticed that, you know what, this it has an old-looking cart, man, that the Philistines put it on. You know what? Let's take the Philistines' example here. Let's put the ark on a new cart. Why? So we can glorify and honor God. We don't want to use their their leftovers. No, we will build something glorious and beautiful so that we can honor God. So, I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine Uzzah and Akio, can you you imagine these two? I mean, the presence of God was resting in their house for 20 years. 20 years, and and King David must have looked, he said, man, you guys had done such a good job hosting the presence of God. You know what? I want you guys to drive the ark back to Jerusalem. I want you guys to take care of it. I want You guys have done such a wonderful job hosting. I want you guys to take her on back to Jerusalem. Hallelujah. In verse 4, he says, but, but when they got out of the house of Abinadab that was at Gibeah, according to the ark of, uh, accompanying the ark of God, and Aachio, which was before the ark. In verse 5 here, it says, And David and all the house of Israel played. Played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even harps and psalteries and timbrels, and on coronets and cymbals. You say, What was going on here, church? It was a celebration. Why? I mean, I don't know when you come to church, it ought to be a celebration. Hmm? And not all be the sit there with your hands together, sitting on a chair and be as quiet as you can. Listen, church, there's a time to be quiet, just like there was today right? But listen, coming to getting to his presence is a time of celebration. The Israelites knew that. Man, when is the church going to grab a hold of that? When's the church going to grab a hold of that? It's it's time to celebrate when we get into his presence. It's time to celebrate when the presence come in. See, they they realized that they started playing the horns, started dancing. Everything was going great. It's going great. Why? Because the ark's coming home. Anyone watch football in here? I know Brother John does. Hey, Brother, you know, it's like this. That, that, that statement always reminds me of this. You know, we, we hear that anytime time that the World Cup comes along over there, uh, over there across the sea, you know, you know, part of Christian's boys over there, you know. They're always like, you know, the, the, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home. This is the year, it's coming home. I'm talking about the trophy of the World Cup. But it doesn't ever come home. <laughs> You say, why doesn't it come home? Because they're not doing what it takes to receive it. They're not doing what it takes to receive it. Hmm. Not because they don't have enough talent. They probably got more talent than anyone else. But they're not doing what it takes to receive it. Here in verse 6, it says, When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God, and he took hold of it because the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God smote him there for his error and there he died by the Ark of God. I mean, isn't that amazing? The man that hosted the presence for 20 years, he touched the Ark and he got dropped like a a hot potato down to the ground. He was hosting the presence for 20 years. Because of his common approach to coming to God, he lost his life. He lost his life because of his common approach as he came to him. You say, what does that mean, common? They came to the presence of God under their own terms. They didn't come into the presence of God under God's terms, they came under theirs. I'm telling you, church, that's that's not a great place to be. I mean, because any hiccup, any mistake, I'm telling you, it it cost him his life. Hmm? I mean, it's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I mean, the ox are are carrying this cart, you know, and they hit a ramp in the street. Did you know they didn't have beautiful roads like we have here in Ireland? There was no potholes. So they're running, and the oxen, it hit a pothole in the middle of the road, and the the cart starts shaking, the glory of God, the the ark, it starts moving back and forth. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, are you going to grab a hold of it so the ark doesn't fall and and get crushed into pieces? Or fall in a bunch of mud? Of course you would. I'd do the same thing. But it wasn't how God asked them to come to him. And he ended up getting smoked for it. I'm telling you, I'm looking, I'm look around here at your faces, and I'm telling you, it's like, it's like people. You start talking this way, and people are like, I mean, I mean, that's really uncalled for, God. I mean, that's really uncalled for. I mean, I mean, Lord, don't you know He was just trying to help you out, and you're gonna, and you do something like this, you allow something like this to happen. But let me reveal something to you, church. Let me reveal something to you. Our problem is, when we think we're doing something right, when we think, oh, I know all the answers, I'm going in the right direction, well, I'm doing something right, and then something comes up, I mean, a little hiccup, a, a, little, a little hurt, a little loss, we encounter a problem in our lives. You know, it le- unleashes a stumbling block for us to get offended at God. And then all the, all the finger points starts to go to him. Oh, it's his fault, he just didn't come on there. Hmm. He just, you know, I can't believe he'd do something like that. I mean, if it was my way, I mean, I would have done it completely different. I would have done it completely different. Well, let me let me let you in on a little secret here, Church. There is a protocol to coming into his presence. There's a protocol to receiving from him. There's a protocol. Why? Because you're not God, he is. He's the one that makes the rules. He's the one that, that knows how we can come into his presence without getting ourselves injured, without getting ourselves hurt, without getting ourselves destroyed. So he, he makes us, he, he puts some regulations or protocols in place. Why? So we don't hurt ourselves. Not because he's mean. Because he knows what will harm us, what can injure us. He knows how things ought to be done. Hmm? But see, when we do things our way, when we take examples of, of the people that are around us, we take, you know, the examples of the people, oh, they've done it this way for, for months or years, and man, everything's grand. It's not going to hurt anything. We'll just do it like they do it. You know what's going to happen? It has potential to cost you dearly. We do things the way other people's doing it instead of the way the word of God says to do it or the spirit of God is telling you to do something. Church, I'm going to tell you something. It has the potential in your life to cost you something fierce. To cost you something dearly. There's a protocol. There's a protocol. You say, why is that? Why, Why didn't the Philistines get hurt when they did it like this? Listen, church, God holds us responsible for the things we know. So the things that we know in the Word of God, the things that we get in and we study, when we begin to rebel against those things, listen, it's not, he, doesn't, he's not puni- he don't punish people for rebellion. <laughs> listen, you punish yourself. You open up the door for these things to happen. Hmm. We're opening up the door. I'm going to tell you something, church. We go to imitating success of other people. We look around and go to imitate success of, the other, of other people. To the word of God, man, we're gonna find ourselves in, in big trouble. We're gonna find ourselves weak, useless, powerless. And sometimes, even underneath the, the, the authority of, of something we don't wanna be under the authority of. You say, well, why, why is this such a big deal? Church, it's called compromise. Hmm? It's called compromise when we don't do things the way He wants it done. It's called compromise. I'll say that one more time. It's called compromise. I mean, compromise is no good. Listen, listen, I will compromise. I used to compromise on nothing. Amen, but God has opened me up to where I'm not so selfish anymore, and I will compromise. Listen, we want to change the color of the carpet? Listen, I'm not going to split the church for it. We can change the color of the carpet. Glory to God. Y'all want to paint this place purple? That's not going to happen. You want to do it gray? Listen, we we can go and compromise on it. And if there's one thing I will not compromise on, it's his word and it's his spirit. Full stop. There is is no compromise in me. Why? Because I can't compromise on truth. We can't compromise on truth. So let me encourage you, church. You need to be bold in the word of God. Don't look around at what other churches are doing and other people are doing. Oh, 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 they're okay. They've been doing that. They've been living in sin. They've been doing this and everything's fine. I'm going to do things like they do. No, no, no. Be bold in the Word of God. Be bold. Preach the Word of God in season and out of the season. I don't care what other people are doing. You be bold. Preach. Huh? Huh? preach be a man be a woman of god live a life of holiness be bold in it. well the other church over there they're not so difficult on sin like you are around here <laughs> no be bold for holiness he is holy so be ye holy need to be bold in these things church huh be bold to lay hands on the sick be bold to cast out devils. Be bold to follow the dreams and destinies that God's placed in your life. I don't care if it hair lips the cap, if it, if it hair lips the king, if it hair lips your mother and father. I don't care. You push forward with everything you have. I'm telling you, church, Jesus has already told us, listen, if you want to follow me, you want to submit yourself unto me, don't be surprised when people don't like you. Don't be surprised when people hate you. Don't be surprised when friends and family, when they walk away from you, don't be surprised at those things. He says, they hate me first. If they hated our king, what in the world do you think they're going to love you? I'm telling you, it's one of those things, it's, it, I have an absolute fear if too many people start liking me, which I don't have to worry about that. Amen. Why? Because listen, if I, if I, there must be some kind of compromise going on if everyone in the world thinks I'm some stand-up guy. I must not be sharing the gospel enough. I must not be preaching the real Jesus. Hmm? Come on, church. Come on, church. So is God angry? Absolutely not. Absolutely, but absolutely not. Hmm? And David was displeased in verse 8. He was displeased because the Lord made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of that place Peres uzzah even to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord... Of that day, and he said, How shall the ark of the Lord come unto me? So David, he would not remove the ark, but he set into the city of David. And he carried it aside into the house of Obed Edom the Gittite, the Gittite. David was displeased. Why was David displeased? Because Uzzah laid there dead. The one that he gave the orders for him to carry the cart. Whose responsibility that fall on fell on King David? Why did Uzzah lose his life? Because of King David. And not only was he responsible for the death of this man, now the ark isn't gonna come home. Now the presence of God doesn't get, God doesn't get to come. Hmm? You say, was God angry? Listen, we got we gotta to learn to look through the Old Testament the same way the same way we read through the New Testament. We gotta look through the eyes of Jesus when we're reading these things. We gotta look through the lenses of Jesus, the lenses of Christ. And they'll help us to, to understand these things. Ah, we'll just go there anyway. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The Lord said we're going. So go uh, you can go with me. I'm, I'm gonna blow through these real quick. In James chapter one, let's see, let's see, let's see how God what God's posture is. In James chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Let no man say when he is tempted that I'm tempted to God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. It says, let no man, when, he, when the temptation, when the trap, when, the, when something comes against you, the test or the trial, he says, don't you dare say it's God that's doing it. Why? Because God doesn't tempt you with evil. Why? Because he can't be tempted with evil. He doesn't possess any of it. He doesn't own any of it. What's evil? Anything that's contrary to the word of God. He doesn't own it. So he can't tempt you with it. But what does the scripture continue to say? But every man, when he is tempted, he's drawn away by what? By his own lust, and he's enticed. Then, when when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. What kind of death is that? That is spiritual death. Then that that can also be physical death. Hmm? But how do these things come? It's because we decide to receive it by the own lust that we have on the inside of us. Now now jump on back to to, uh, 1 Thessalonians. It's right, uh, right, right before 2 Thessalonians. In chapter 5, verse 9, what does this scripture say? For God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I know God has not appointed you to wrath. Huh? God doesn't set you up for failure. He's not appointing us to wrath. He didn't select you to be a son or daughter of God. He selected you for salvation. He purchased you for salvation. But let me tell you something, church. There are consequences for our actions. And it's not because God is coming to hound us for these things. It's not because God's coming to, 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 to birth forth wrath and destroy the people that he loves. But there are consequences. it will open up the door and the adversary will come in and he will give you a biggest spanking as he can. Because hmm? there's consequences for the things that we know. God isn't coming for us. When we ignore Him and rebel him, rebel against Him, we're lewd away by the Word. It says what? By your own lusts. Not by Him. Hmm. Come on now. One more. How about Lamentations? Y'all getting enough? How about Lamentations? Right after Jeremiah. Lamentations, verse 33. He says that he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of God. God doesn't willingly grieve you. He doesn't willingly afflict you. He doesn't willingly harm you. That's not our God. That's not how he does things. Salvation and sonship are of our Father, right? Why? Because he loves us to a depth. I don't even know if words can explain it. Amen. Words can't express the depth that he loves for each and each and every one of us. But I'm going to tell you something, church. Although all this love teaching that goes around nowadays, listen, we've got to learn to take personal responsibility for ourselves and what we're doing. Hmm? Stop looking for someone else to blame. Stop looking for God to blame. Stop looking for, for anything else. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I should be getting an amen on that, church. Now let's jump on back. We'll finish up here. Hallelujah. He says, so he found, you know, they left the, the ark in Obed-Edom's house. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Gidim, Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told of King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and they that pertain to him because of the ark of the Lord God. So David went out and he brought the ark, brought the ark from the house of obed into, into the city of David with gladness. How many all know that where the presence of God is, that's where his blessing is also? Where the presence of God, he would say, how, how come his house is blessed? I thought someone just died. Well, because where the presence of God is, that's where his blessing is. Huh? And David looked, he looked and he said, man, God's not angry. I don't know, why, why was I thinking God's angry? I'm a man after his own whore. You know, he's not angry. Hmm. He wasn't angry. Contrary to that, actually, his blessing was where his presence was. So what he said, I'm gonna go get me some of that. I'm gonna go get me that. So he went and he grabbed the ark and started moving it back home. You say, why? Why would David have these thoughts? Listen, he's just like many of us. But I'm gonna tell you something, church. Not everything that you see is really how it appears. Hmm. Not everything we see or perceive is exactly how it appears. So what happened? We know, we, know, we, know, we know the rest of the story here. Amen. He, they went and they bore the ark. They went every six paces. They sacrificed oxen. David danced before the Lord. He stripped off his clothing. He had a, not naked, but under his undergarments. And he, had, and he had a linen ephod on him. You know, why, why did David do all of these things? The Lord only told him, listen, the way you carry my presence is you make sure you carry it with poles or staves on the shoulders of the Levites. Right? Which they failed to do earlier and it ended up costing someone their life. But David's like, listen, if he's blessed, how do, we, how do we move this ark? How do we do it? I know what, maybe we should go to the priest and ask them how we should do it, right? And the priest said, oh, well, well. the word of God says, let's get some poles, stick it through the ark, we'll cover it on our shoulders and we can move. What did David do? He started glorifying God. Hallelujah, it's coming now. Why? Because he was doing things the way God requested it to be done. They were gonna be protected. So what did they do? He, he, started, he, got, he was so pleased. He started worshiping God. So Every six paces one, two, three, four, five, six. We're going to make a sacrifice right here. One, two, three, four, five, six. Another sacrifice all the way to Jerusalem. I'm telling you, absolute bloodbath. Why did he do that? Because everything they owned, he says, I want to give it back to you, Lord. Everything, I want to worship you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to put everything at your feet as we take your presence home. And they walked in a bloodbath all the way there. He stripped off his clothes under his undergarments, put an ephod of the priest on, and started dancing with all his might before the Lord. Glorifying God. Thankful, happy, praising him. Why? Because the presence was coming home. And he was going to get to come into the presence anytime he wanted to. Right? And we know as he entered, entered into Jerusalem, Everyone's sitting there watching him, looking like, look at this guy. Who is, that? Who is that crazy man dancing out there? Oh, my Lord, that's the king. We need to bow down to him. David, David stripped off all of his kingly attire, and he humbled himself just to get into the presence of God. And what did his wife, Mikhail, do? said, man, that's disgusting. How dare you dishonor yourself? Lower yourself to be like these other people that are out there. How dare you do that? She said, the word says she despised them in his heart, in her heart. And David gets back into the city. Man, he's such a good king. I'm telling you, he got back to the city. All these sacrifices they were making, they started giving up. He gave meat to every single family in Israel. I'm telling you, that was a lot of animals that were killed. Gave meat to every... Gave them cakes to every single family. Gave a flask of wine to every single family. Why? Because it was a time of celebration. The presence of God is now coming, and it's going to dwell in Jerusalem. Listen, church, it was this posture of humility. This posture of humility, this posture of servitude is what brought King David out of the pasture with the sheep and gave him the ability to slay the giant. It was this posture of servitude, this posture of humility They gave him the title of man after God's own heart. Well, he gave a dance. He gave a dance unto the Lord. You know, there was a guy back in the States and he was... He, you know, the Holy Ghost broke out and people were dancing. and it was, it was an amazing Holy Ghost meeting. And he was like, Lord, Lord, I wish you'd give me a dance like that. Give me a dance like one of those men. The Lord said, listen, I don't give you a dance. That's something you give me. Hmm? That's something you give me. And this is what David was doing. He was, he was giving with a posture of worship and submission and servitude unto the king. Hmm? Why is known as one of the greatest kings that ever lived. It's why the throne of the King of kings and the Lord of lords is the throne of David. That's why the lineage of Christ comes from this man. Because of a posture of humility. A posture of worship. A complete disregard to the fear of man. But one that grabbed hold of everything that he had with the fear of God. Hmm? I popped him off into a place that is a place that we can study and we can learn a lot from today. But sometimes, church, I'll leave you with this. Sometimes I believe we need to learn how to lower ourselves in humility to where God can begin to bring the increase in our lives lower ourselves in humility and aposture ourselves into servitude to Him, then God can exalt you. Then, then He can do the things that He's desiring to do in your life. See, it's in this true weakness and this humility, Maybe, let me make that a better word for you here, in this true dependence on Him is where you're going to find your true strength in the Spirit but it's knowing you're completely and utterly dependent on him. And not the things you see, not the things you taste, not what everyone else is doing, not the circumstances that are going on around you, but complete and utter dependence on him. If he told it to me, it's done. If he spoke it to me, it's done. I don't have to ask someone else how to do it. All I got to do is ask him how to do it, and it will be done, and it will be done and it'll be done. Why? Because things don't always, things aren't always as they appear, church. Things aren't always as they appear. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your compassion, Lord. Lord, I even thank you for your judgment that comes upon us. For, Lord, we know you judge anything that comes against your word, anything that comes against your name, anything that comes against your people, anything that comes against your love. So I thank you for it, Lord. I welcome it in this house. Lord Peter, the apostle Peter said, judgment's going to begin first in the house of God. Lord, we welcome it. Lord, we say, shift us, change us. Lead us, guide us, direct us. Hmm. Help us not to have eyes for the world and the eyes for the things of this world, but Lord, help us to have eyes that are keenly and solely focused on you for everything that we're doing. Everything that we are doing. Therefore, we long for you, Lord. We, we love you, Lord. I ask you to stir up a passion on the inside of us. Stir up a passion. Hmm. Stir up a passion. We know you're not a God that condemns. We know Satan is. Hallelujah, but I thank you, Lord, for your correction. I thank you, Lord, for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much as sons and daughters, Lord. You you want to raise us up to be ones that can actually carry your signet ring, ones that can wear your robe of righteousness, ones that can carry your sandals of peace, ones that can deliver the kingdom in power and in glory. To every person we come in encounter with, with no compromise on us. Not pulling back, not getting soft, not, not holding back on the gospel because we're worried that people are going to be irritated or offended at us. Hmm. But loving you enough and loving people enough to give them the whole cake, to give them everything that you've offered. But so we thank you for it. Hallelujah, Lord. We glorify you for it. We glorify you for it. And I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for it, Lord. Hmm. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, as we exit this church, Lord, we sing on Psalms 91, your promise, Lord, that no evil will befall us, neither shall any plague come nigh our dwelling place, Lord. Why? Because we're people that are dedicated To be in the secret place of the Most High. We leave no doors open for the adversary to come in and wreak havoc. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for pointing us in the right direction. We thank you, Lord, you say you give your angels charge of us to keep us in all of our ways. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us, guide us, and direct us. Keep us out of the snare. Keep us out of the trap that the adversary is setting before us so we can walk boldness, and be a good representation of your kingdom. Walking in power and glory. Hmm. We thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. Oh, what a family you're putting together here. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for each and every one of them here. We walk out of here in faith and love towards you. Loving one another. Having each other's back. Lifting up each other. Encouraging one another. Hmm. Thank you, Lord, for the ambassadors of Christ you've called each and every one of us to be. Thanking you, Lord. Here at Island Church, we are covered by your blood, we are empowered by your word, and we are anointed by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the center of the town, and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie.